Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So am I to take it that American service members can get killed and we can go days without a response? Oh, Tony, what are you, rushing to war? No, I am rushing to teach a lesson. What are you doing? Oh, God, that's no way to start a radio show. I mean, that's just downright rude. Now it's being confrontational and argumentative. That's no way to talk to friends. Hey, boo-boo. Hey, kitten. How's everything? The kids are good? Yeah, the date went good with that girl. Oh, that's great. Oh, I'm making a living. Yeah, good. You got the bonus. Congratulations. Great. Me? I want to know when we handle Iran. Sorry, I'm a one-track mind. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on? 833-GOT-TONY. 833-468-8669. Phone lines are open. I rarely do that, but call away. Feel free. Happy to have you. This is, without question, a mistake. Don't get me wrong. One should have a plan, a valuable, worthy plan for how to deal with an adversary. Iran is an adversary. We are at war with Iran because Iran is at war with us. It's not a debate. It's not a question. Everyone saying otherwise is wrong. Let's start discussing why it is that they are wrong. Now, that might be you. I, I, again, I don't want to fight. But we have attacks on U.S. service members everywhere. We have service members with traumatic brain injuries, with, with broken bones, with injuries. We have three killed in an air attack trying to figure out the last time something like that happened. If you say to me, as we have discussed, they shouldn't even be there, that's a policy conversation that you are more than entitled to have. I would absolutely concede that it's a worthwhile conversation. Now, you could say it's a conversation that should have happened six years ago, two years ago, two months ago, two hours ago. Fine. In the meantime, I have three dead Americans, and if we don't punch Iran directly in the face and draw blood, they'll do it again. Now what? If you want to say to me that my position is the warmonger's position, I reject that premise. My position is not to start a war with Iran. My position is to ensure that nobody messes with the United States and those who do engage in violence with the United States suffer. I rank these things. You hear me talk about that all the time, that I rank certain things. For example, when we talk about the southern border and Ukraine, Griff Jenkins from Fox News scheduled to be with us uh, in a little bit uh, to break down what's going on, specifically the impeachment proceedings against the, the Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, and what we're hearing about San Diego, where they're starting to get a tremendous amount of people, which is weird because if you look at a map, and, and, I, and I, I encourage you to do this, uh, go to United U.S. Map. And just search it up. Once you take a look at a map and where it connects to Mexico, you understand why people come up 
Texas way, specifically McAllen and, and Brownsville, and they don't come up through the Yuma sector there in Arizona and San Diego. That's a tremendous amount of land to cover. It's a much tougher trek. So where are these people coming from? As we're learning, these people are single, able-bodied males from China and India and Africa. No one should think that we allow single, uh, able-bodied males into the United States. That's a recipe for disaster. And it is not a question of being humanitarian. It is a question of absolute foolhardiness. So we're going to talk to Griff Jenkins about those things. But when it comes to Iran, the argument of we shouldn't be there does not take away the need for a response. And I would very much appreciate it if people started getting into this headspace. Iran, they're engaging in their own threats. They're going to respond decisively. I think the words were decisively respond to any U.S. attack on the Islamic Republic. Okay, we accept your terms. Now what? Now what? Does it matter what they say? Oh, you see, this is starting a war. Everybody calms down. We can't be escalating. That's a term of the left, escalation. And and I do think that there are some on the political right who, who engage that. Responding to the death of three Americans is not escalation. It is the very basic. It is the standard. Iran murders three American soldiers. We murder 300 of the Ayatollah's closest friends and family. His dry cleaner, his dentist, his banker, all of them. You're right, 300 isn't enough. 3,000. We we take out 3,000 of the Ayatollah's closest friends. When I say closest friends, people who are scared that he will kill them if they don't say, oh, that's a great joke, Ayatollah. I love the way you delivered that. Oh, and the way you stoned that woman for to death for showing her ankle. Huh, I was so proud of you. So proud. You know what? You know what? If I could vote, I would vote for you. If, if we actually had votes, we should not have votes. You're absolutely right, Ayatollah. We should definitely not have votes around. Oh, no, 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 no. I would vote. I would vote for you. I would vote for you twice. And if my sister didn't vote for you, I'd stone her as well. That's right. What, I get to, I get to eat this week? Thank you. You really, you are beautiful. No, I don't, I don't mean it that way. I don't want you to think that, that I'm gay because then you'll stone me to death. So we can't have that. Does it matter to me what some fool thinks of escalation? We're here. And I want grown-ups to start having the conversation of what do you do when you're here? How do you respond? What is it that you will accept and what is it that you will not accept? I do not understand. I am lost to the idea that we would accept this. That there is absolutely no response from the Biden administration. If you tell me, well, they said that that they're considering things and just because they haven't done something doesn't mean they won't do something. Allow me to give you a, 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 a theory here. Uh, throw, in a, throw out a philosophy or an idea, however you want to describe it. The Biden administration is waiting to see what it is the world wants before responding. In a matter of translation, we no longer have a foreign policy based on 
what is good for America and showing the world that America is not to be trifled with. We have a foreign policy based on, I wonder if France will think we're nice. That's not a foreign policy. That's what you do when you want to run for homecoming queen. No interest in that. I've seen a lot of movies. The homecoming queen doesn't end up looking good. Yeah, no, she, she is like one of those guys on Star Trek in the red shirts. They're dead first. Is it the red shirts? Is it the gold? I don't know which way. It's one of the shirts. They're immediately dead. Or some people would describe uh, whoever the black guy is in the horror film. Immediately dead. No, we, th- that's not true? Oh, okay, sure. S- send your emails. Feel free. Tony at TonyCats.com. I think, we're hitting, I think we're getting a little too close to the bone for some people. We don't worry about whether another nation is happy with it. We don't worry about whether Europe's happy with it. We don't worry about whether China's happy with it. What does that matter? It's like worrying about whether China is happy when we have a conversation about whether TikTok should be allowed in the United States. Whether or not we should allow Chinese nationals to own land in the United States. There's a Senate hearing going on right now where Zuckerberg is there and, and a host of others. And it's, um, I, I, I would argue it's getting a little bit hot. Uh, Mr. Zuckerberg, you and the companies before us, I know you don't mean it to be so, but you have blood on your hands. You have a product. You have a product that's killing people. That's a, that's, a, that's a rough one. This was about online child sexual exploitation. Um, and, and you could see Zuckerberg taking that one uh, personally. Uh, I think Facebook should be a better platform all the way around when it comes to, to free speech. But we'll discuss whether or not uh, Senator Lindsey Graham is right or wrong uh, in this. What matters is is that I wouldn't in say I'm doing uh, X, a lawful activity, like speaking politically, and worry about whether Mark Zuckerberg likes it. That's inconsequential to whether or not I engage the speech to discuss a subject, or you for that matter, or any of us. So does it matter if the Chinese like it or don't like it? If we say you can't own property if you're connected to the Chinese Communist Party? That's about the safety and the security of the United States. This is a must. As a matter of fact, the wiggle room conversation is laughable. Now, you'll note that I have now in uh, two different places discussed the idea of an absolute. That's because there are some absolutes, guys. We live in this world that wants to show us the never-ending shades of gray that wants to debate out and 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 debate out every last bit of nuance of every last little thing. But anybody who has ever run a business, everybody who has ever been a parent, everybody who is really anybody of a free and thinking mind knows that eventually the decision has to get made. Certainly, we've all experienced the concept of analysis paralysis. When we're buying a big screen TV or a coffee maker. Analysis paralysis when responding to the murder of three American soldiers. 
That's insane. Our failure to respond refers to the fact, or I think implies the fact, that we did not have a plan for what would happen if three soldiers were killed. I grew up, you grew up, many people grew up with at least the philosophy that the people who work in these kinds of institutions, right? The people who uh, reside in the five-sided building, it's called the Pentagon, people. It has five sides. Look it up. Uh, ask uh, Bill Nye, science guy. He, he'll tell you I'm right. He's wrong about global warming, but he is right about a Pentagon having five sides. You would think that this is all they think about. You would think that if three U.S. service members were killed, they would say which country, and then they would go to the file with that country. They would look up what if three service members are killed. Then they'd look up how they were killed, and they would be able to pull out 27 plans. You want to go with number six? You want number six or number 14? Number six or number, I like six or 14. What do you like, Tommy? I like number seven. I think number seven really packs a wall. Ooh, number seven's good. Okay, let's grab these three. Let's bring them to the president. Let's pick one. Let's go. What does that take, 10 minutes? Then you got maybe an hour with the commander-in-chief. Okay, this does this and that does that. <laughs> okay, but if we did this, okay, great. Let's go with that one. Thank you. Now, where's my ice cream? Jill, get my pudding cup. Jill? Jill! I'm assuming that's the way he yells for Jill. And that's the end. I am... I, I only hope that I'm not alone in this. I only hope that I am not alone in the recognizing of how insane, horrific, and dangerous it is that there's been no response from the United States. And for those people who want to call me a warmonger, uh, for the record, so we can continue to be friends, I don't care. To not respond is to invite more violence. To not respond. To not engage. To not set the record of Pax Americanus. That is... That is surreal. Absolutely surreal. It is dangerous. And no one can vote for that weakness ever again. This is Tony Katz today. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm digging in on these digital equity rules. And most people are like, I'm sorry, what did, what, what did you say now? Uh, digital equity what now? Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's great to be with you. The phone number, 833-468-8669. Got Tony. That is the number. This is about a joint, a, a resolution to 
declare the digital equity rules, the plan from the FCC, to be wholly abusive. The idea is to say, hey, we can't have discrimination within uh, um, the world of, of the internet. So what we need to do is we need to create rules that prevent this from happening. Now, you and I both know that when the government says, well, we can't allow this, so we have to work to stop this, in the vast majority of cases, that, of course, means that you no longer have free speech. You no longer have a voice. You're always the one who is guilty, and somebody else, ah, they're not even paying attention. They don't know what's the big deal. I don't understand. You're just complaining. You must be a part of a militia. I mean, it's going to jump to there. The issue that uh, Representative Andrew Clyde and Buddy Carter have, Republicans from Georgia, they want to nullify this, which is referred to as, wait for it, digital equity rules. Because under the guise of equity, they write, the Biden administration is attempting to radically expand the federal government's control of all internet service and infrastructure. The so-called digital discrimination rule from the FCC hands bureaucrats unmitigated regulatory authority that will undoubtedly impede innovation, burden consumers, and generate censorship concerns. We have all seen that if the federal government had been in charge of the internet, we would be able to send email via dial-up. That's where we would be right now. We would have zero innovation because government does not inspire innovation. Systems inspire innovation in terms of a system that lets people innovate and then profit off of those innovations or not. It's up to them. Allows them to pursue passions, things like that. But if you use the, 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 the guise of equity, well, then you're guaranteed to have a total disaster. This went into effect January 15th. Implements a section of the infrastructure bill. Oh, oh, is that right? It prevents digital discrimination of access to broadband services based on income level, race, ethnicity, color, religion, or national origin. Now, in hearing that, there is not a one of us who'd be like, well, wait a second. If you can buy the service, you should be able to utilize the service as you see fit. We have rules about certain things. If you're looking up how to make a, a some kind of explosive device or harm people, well, that could be an issue. But I'm not in the business of trying to police what people are doing online. You want to look at whatever it is you want to look at as long as it's legal and lawful and the people that you're watching are legal and lawful, engaged in contract of their own free will without any coercion, no problem. Vice President Harris said these rules will protect civil rights, lower costs, and increase internet access for Americans across the country. No, it won't. There's no way any of this lowers costs and increases access. If you can't afford the internet, you can't afford the internet. Or is equity now mean you have to provide free internet in certain places based on whatever characteristic or demographic that comes with that zip code? That's maybe another story. This is another example of it's Michael Walsh, uh, the great author, uh, the, the Devil's uh, Pleasure Palace, The Fiery Angel, Last Stands. That's all Michael Walsh. 
Uh, and I paraphrase, the left never rests, they never stop, they never sleep. They never quit. There's always something. There's always one more thing where the reality is this is bigoted and therefore the government has to save you from yourself because you don't even understand what kind of bigot you are. We must now have this equity. I am following this story. This, what clearly it looks like overreach from the federal government. And if this is in the infrastructure bill, my God, what else is in the infrastructure bill that we missed? What comes next? Let's take a look at the border. That's coming up. This is Tony Katz today. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. seems that Alejandro Mayorkas isn't going to go quietly, and certainly one could take a look at impeachment and not see it moving further past the House than just, well, actual impeachment. But the statement is being made, and the screaming and the yelling from whether it be Benny Thompson, congressman from Mississippi, or Dan Goldman, congressman from New York, notwithstanding, they'll tell you that there's a border deal put out there by Joe Biden. Why won't Republicans vote for it? They want it for the politics. The Republicans will say, we've been talking about the border for years. We passed legislation in the House 265 days ago. Why hasn't uh, the Senate moved on it? And oh, by the way, Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas has failed us and failed America. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Griff Jenkins joins us of Fox News, who was covering the border before covering the border was cool. I do want to get into what's happening in San Diego. You and and, and Bill Malugin have been reporting on the number of single able-bodied males coming through uh, California, coming through the border there. But, but let's start with what's going on with the impeachment, with Mayorkas, and the argument that was made in the markup by both Republicans and Democrats. Well, Tony, it's great to be with you. And look, at the end of the day, you know, the, the reasons that they are trying to, the House Republicans are trying to impeach ultimately Mayorkas is the fact that he did not carry out the laws that are on the books. They put out endless ads of public safety announcements that still run every single day to CBP on Twitter and elsewhere saying, if you don't have a legitimate uh, uh, reason for asylum, uh, you will not be allowed to stay in the U.S. But that's just absolute hogwash. They're all being 80 plus percent, 85 percent are allowed to be released into the U.S. and they're not coming because they're seeking asylum or meeting any credible threat of uh, fear. They're coming for economic reasons. That's why I was covering that caravan a few weeks ago, carrying the banner Exodus de Pobre, free us from poverty. The migrant leader themselves, uh, 
uh, Viagran, Luis Viagran, who I know and have, have gone and covered him in Tapachula and places like that, told me the migrants are not coming for any other reason than the fact that they know they're going to be released and they're going to be able to get jobs. Look at these sanctuary cities from New York, Chicago, and elsewhere that they're trying to get work authorization for them so they're not homeless vagrants in their town, but yet at the same time, they're getting what they want. They're getting exactly what they came for, and that's why they keep coming in, in you know, absolutely unprecedented numbers. And so Mayorkas is being impeached by the House Republicans because he's not enforcing laws on the books and the second article of impeachment, which is that he's lying to the country about it. Now, the, this idea of enforcement, we've heard Joe Biden go through this this odd bit of storytelling that the problem is he doesn't have the power. This is, is Joe Biden in his own words. Listen. With executive authority, is there more you can do? After the you got all I can do. Give me the power. I've asked for the very day I got it off. Give me the borders patrol. Give me the people, give me the people, the judges. Give me the people who can stop this and make it work right. He's making the argument, Griff, uh, that he doesn't have uh, the, the power. One of your compatriots, Jesse Waters, made an extremely solid point. For three years, the Biden administration has told us that the border is secure. It's fine. Stop being ridiculous. Now, all of a sudden, he doesn't have the power. In the, in the halls of D.C. that you cover as much as you cover the border, how is this argument going over? Well, listen, it's very disingenuous, and that's not an opinion. That's an observation, because let's not forget, Tony, on day one that he was inaugurated in 2021, he undid 94 executive orders from the Trump administration pertaining to the border, things like remain in Mexico, that when he realized at some point into the past three years that he was creating a crisis by undoing those, he could have put them back in place. And that certainly would have plugged some of the leaks, if you will, in what was a ship destined to sink. Now that the sink, now that the Titanic is on the bottom of the ocean, he's saying, wait, I need someone to give me help. And, and so it's really just unbelievable for him to say that. Now, there is an argument that Congress is the only one that can change policy like asylum. And he's right about that. But the argument against this current border deal and what's happening in Washington that insults the intelligence of Americans for those that think the Americans don't understand it, you're talking about giving more resources to continue the processing and transporting of migrants, not the detaining and deporting of them, because we're seeing nothing in the way of increasing detainment and deportations, and certainly nothing in the past three years that suggested they were trying to get there until all of a sudden, in an ABC poll, Joe Biden is at 18% on handling the border. Our border is being absolutely run over. The Texas governor has decided to challenge the Constitution and take matters in his own hands because he doesn't know what else to do. And you've got the president sitting there that that uh, he can't do anything. He could do a whole lot starting 10 minutes from now, which is reinstating Remain in Mexico. Let's now, talk why? about that. Hold yeah, on. Let, let's stay right there. Talking to Griff Jenkins of, of Fox News. You catch him weekends. You catch his reporting everywhere. He fills in on Fox and Friends. My gosh, he runs the whole company by this stage of the game. Um, 
the Remain in Mexico policy. This has been a little bit of back and forth. And over the last couple of years, it's kind of gotten uh, kind of scrubbed in, in, in the wash in terms of what it refers to. Define the Remain in Mexico policy that President Trump put into place to explain what it is the Biden administration did and where does it reside right now? That's a great point, which is to step back and say, what was it? We heard about it. And why did it work? So it originally was started because of COVID. And it basically said, if you're going to apply for asylum in the U.S., you have to remain on the Mexican side of the border while your asylum claim plays out. And if you get then uh, approved to come into the U.S., for the next stage, because there's several. First, you got to like come and say you're claiming asylum, and explain exactly why it is that you have you meet the threshold of credible fear. That's then noted at a port of entry by an immigration by a CBP officer, who then would take the next step, which is to push it to an immigration attorney, who would then dis- begin to decide whether or not you do qualify for asylum. Right? It's it's sort of a a, a multi-tiered system. And you got to get to that immigration judge. And so <clears throat> with COVID, we were like, listen, you can't come over here because it's too dangerous right now with the cross border and all the COVID things. You got to stay there. When we began to get unprecedented numbers, large numbers coming, President Trump signed an executive order saying, you know what? Everybody claiming asylum, and particularly if you cross illegally and say, oh, I claim asylum, it's like, great, okay, <clears throat> sounds good. Give us your name and info and go over to Juarez or to Matamoros or in Tijuana and you wait there and we'll let you know when that uh, uh, is approved or disapproved, which set up all those camps we saw on the Mexican side. And migrants were having to wait months upon months, if not year upon year. And the migrants said, well, wait a minute. We didn't sign up for staying in a migrant camp in a Mexican border town. We want the good life. and We want it now. And Trump said, no, you can't. You got to do it this way. And if you cross illegally twice after you're applying for a remain in Mexico, you lose your right to stand in that line. And they were like, well, hell with this. I don't want this, Tony. I'm, I'm going to worry, worry, you know, try again some other time. Meanwhile, the Biden administration comes in, undoes it. They'll start coming in massive numbers. Then they came in such large numbers that you started to get these NTAs. We hear about NTAs. That means a border patrol agent in Eagle Pass when I was there in September, in October, we were seeing upwards of 3,000 a day in that area. On one specific day, Tony, I remember I was doing live reporting. We had 27 total border patrol agents on the sector in Eagle Pass, only 27 individuals, and we had more than 3,300 encountered that shift. And so you do the math. These guys can't. These guys and gals can't write these notices to appear faster. Now you see my buddy Malusian reporting <clears throat> last month about this asylum date 10 years down the road and beyond notices to appear because the system's so backlogged. So this administration, Mayorkas and President Biden ultimately allowed the backup to become so 
uh, burdensome that they allowed the migrants and the cartels ultimately, because that's who's getting filthy rich off of it, to overwhelm the system. And once they broke the system, they own the system. And now Trump, uh, Biden's acting like, well, there's nothing I can do. It's it's a crisis. He finally, for the first time, used the word crisis. That's just simply, I think the appropriate adjective is disingenuous. Talking to Griff Jenkins of Fox News, weekends on Fox News, and of course his reporting from the border and from D.C. That's an important definition about what Remain in Mexico actually uh, does and, and how it gets kind of manipulated because one of the things we heard in the impeachment hearing was Representative Dan Goldman of New York say, we don't have a place to house all these people. We don't have a place to put all these people and remain in Mexico would solve that problem. But I want to take you out of the impeachment conversation. I, I, I will come back to it and bring you to San Diego where your, 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 your partner, Bill Malugin there, as, as we think of the border, you guys are, are the one to punch talking about what's happening in San Diego. And the numbers of crossings there increasing. Keep your eyes on that. Specifically, single able-bodied males. Are we seeing an increase in San Diego? And should we, or should does Border Patrol believe we should be thinking about single able-bodied males differently than women, children, and families? Well, yeah. And listen, here's the thing about so San Diego, which is as you know, is just north of Tijuana. You know. Whether it's San Diego or Lukeville, Arizona, or Eagle Pass, it, it ebbs and flows in terms of which area is ground zero. Right now, San Diego's <clears throat> sector is at ground zero. They have more than 1,300 uh, illegal <clears throat> migrants crossed yesterday, but they're coming not only as single adults, of which – about 1,300, it was roughly 1,100. I mean, like 85% were single adults. And it included from over 100 countries, including everything from China to Africa, Vietnam, you name it. And so you wonder, why are they coming? Again, it goes back to the job thing. Single adults are coming because they know they can find work and they can find an opportunity for a better life. About the only perhaps silver lining to this story in this crisis is, Tony, you can say at least the rest of the world still knows there's no, but, no, no greater place on the planet than in the United States of America that offers anybody, particularly the downtrodden in the uh, disenfranchised, the most likely chance of success in reaching that American dream. You hear all kinds of Americans talking about the American dream is lost and done and we're terrible and woe is us. Go stick our head in the sand. Ask these migrants from all over the world why they came. It's ultimately because they believe they can do it. And they believe that ultimately Joe Biden promised them the opportunity to do that. Remember, he promised this to them. And that's why they they say that, you know, thank you, Mr. Biden. And all. I've done it with migrants. Bill Malusian more recently did it. But San Diego right now is being hit hard. And what's really significant about the different number of countries in Venezuela, in, in Eagle Pass, it's largely Venezuela 
and, and in a few other countries, but they're getting a heavy concentration from South and Central America. Whereas out in California and in Arizona, they're getting the wider spread of migrants from all over the globe. And that is an indication from my border patrol sources that ultimately the cartels have figured out a system in some areas to just set up a, 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 an opportunity to do a worldwide travel agency and bring them from all over. And, you know, it was in uh, Yacumba, California, where Malusian dropped that video yesterday uh, of smugglers uh, in SUVs, two SUVs dropping off migrants who just go around a part of the border wall where it's open. And that had people from India and Turkey and everywhere else. And so, you know, this this situation is is all a snapshot, and we keep getting snapshot after snapshot in time of the national security implication. You know, the I put out in the very beginning of of uh, January, I knew from my source there was three hundred two thousand migrant encounters in December, shattering all records, and. Sure enough, guess what? That bore out true. What I didn't know was the exact number of people on the terror watch list. It was 19, bringing the number to 51. One was from the northern border. All the other uh, 50 were from the southern border crossings. And you look at the data yesterday. So yesterday, there was just a little over 6,200 encounters across the entire southwest border, right? 740-something, I remember, I think 41, were uh, known gotaways. Right. So that's seven, more than 700 potential, you know, on any given day, more than 700 potential terrorists in our country. But then you look at the December, no, 302,000. That's when you watch the Super Bowl, when the Chiefs take on the 49ers and you see those giant crowd in that Super Bowl stadium in Vegas, just know that what crossed in December was Four and a half times that. Well, there's the sobering thought. Griff Jenkins, uh, Fox News, as the impeachment proceedings proceed, we will speak again uh, about that and this uh, border deal, which seems to be uh, DOA coming from Jim Lankford and uh, the Senate, uh, that bipartisan deal. Griff Jenkins, Fox News, weekends. Catch him there. I appreciate you. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. So you didn't take any action. You didn't take any action. You didn't fire anybody. You haven't compensated a single victim. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. There's families of victims here today. Have you apologized to the victims? Would you like to do so now? Well, they're here. You're on national television. Would you like now to apologize to the victims who have been harmed by your product? Show them the pictures. Would you like to apologize for what you've done to these good people? And to Mark Zuckerberg's credit... He's turned around in this hearing, spoke to these families, spoke to these people. Now, I will not be somebody defending Mark Zuckerberg. I won't do it in terms of what he has done regarding free speech and and the level of failure that he has allowed to take place. But I don't know how many tools we think we need. And maybe the question should be asked differently. Give me all the tools. Will it stop everything? Is this what we want? We want to stop the exploitation, sure, but we got to ask ourselves what it means. I don't know if this hearing is doing that.
I'm Tony Katz. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Kathy Griffin wants you to buy her comedy tickets. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this again. Maybe I'll slow down a little bit and take some time with it. Kathy Griffin. The so-called comic who used to be funny, then decided to be political, as all of these comics end up doing. I remember when Janine Garofalo was funny. I remember when Sandra Bernhardt was funny. Chelsea Handler used to give me a laugh. And they all lose their mind. Margaret Cho. What happens? The comedy get too hard, so therefore you become an activist, so you can always blame that, that you're speaking your truth, to make up for the fact that nobody will come to your show because you have given up the hard work that it takes to be a stand-up? Let me say for the record that I am a funny guy. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Producer Jason agrees. I am hilarious. I've never done stand-up. I should. At this stage of the game... I should. I mean, I, I one man show is, I think, really where I, I belong, and that's a totally different thing from stand up because it's a different kind of performance. Stand up is tough. Respect the people, but there are people who will not accept the fact that they are no longer funny. They no longer have it. They are no longer willing to put in the work and decide to blame something else. Kathy Griffin is issuing a plea for fans to purchase more of her comedy tour tickets. Just freaking get me to opening night in Des Moines. And Omaha is not selling well. First of all, there's not enough people there. I need comedy fans to come out and see me in Kansas City. Come on, I need sellouts. I've been through hell. I've been through so much crap since my last tour. I actually just have to laugh at it. So please... Begging for an audience. Now, if you feel that this is a way to sell tickets, I'm not going to tell you no. But I think there's a, a, a larger story here, which is what happens if people aren't interested? Why, why is it that people are not interested? Why is it that the people should show up because you've been through something rough. Admittedly, we are a nation that looks at people who've had some level of hardship and we feel something for them and we want to be helpful and supportive of it. Somebody uh, loses their house in a, in a fire, you'll see a GoFundMe to help them rebuild their house. Somebody uh, goes through a, a traumatic uh, event, you'll see people support them to try and get back on their feet. You see um, somebody... I don't, I don't know, uh, do something, uh, you know, th- not thankless, but uh, um, when you give of yourself freely, right? You, 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 you're, you're happy to, to support a, a cause. And you went above and beyond. Maybe they'll support it. We've seen these things happen time and again and again. 
that's who America is, for, for sure. We, we love these kinds of stories of not so much redemption, although we do love a good redemption story. We like seeing people acting in this selfless way, and then we want to congratulate them. Everything about Kathy Griffin is the opposite of selfless. You took this photo with yourself holding up the fake severed head of President Donald Trump, and then you were amazed that there was a backlash. Then you cried that there was a backlash, and look what Trump did to me. Look what Trump did to you. Your problem, Kathy, is that you were just five years too early. If you did that now, you'd be considered boring. It's like watching Madonna. Madonna, 40 years ago, how shocking. Madonna today, who forgot her depends? You know we're going to have an accident right there on the stage. I'm telling you, we do not have enough mops. We do not have enough mops. Tommy, here's 50 bucks. Go to the Dollar General. Get the mops. Get all the mops. That's what you got to get. Oh, and some extra paper towels. You never know. Kathy Griffin engaged in an activity that today would not only be considered tame, people would go, is that all you got? That's the truth. And that's why she feels so comfortable in, in the comeback she's been trying to do for the past couple of years and engaging as she is engaged. Why learn your lesson and focus back again on being funny when you can blame others for how poorly things are going and then beg for help? Some people don't have to beg for help. Some people realize, all right, not every room is going to be full. You keep fighting, keep pushing, keep getting better at your craft. I think it's interesting that she went to Kansas City and Omaha and Des Moines. You would argue that her audience would be in San Francisco and Los Angeles and San Francisco and Los Angeles. And then... um then she go back to San Francisco, a stop in Eugene, Oregon, then back to Los Angeles and back, no, back to San Francisco and then Los Angeles uh, and then and then uh, stop in Bakersfield. That's not for a show. She just wanted to get some Carl's Jr. And then back to San Francisco again and that would be her whole tour. You want us to feel bad for you? You want us to feel sorry for you? That is odd and strange. Stand-up comedy is outrageously difficult. And the reason it is so important, the reason it's so valuable, the reason it deserves such respect is because in many ways, it's the last real meritocracy on earth. It is binary. Now, some people might think one kind of joke is funny, another isn't. One type of comedy is funny, another type isn't. But the audience that shows up for you, they have either laughed or they did not. And that's it. I find myself more and more of a fan of Jerry Seinfeld every day, which is odd because every day I think more and more that Jerry Seinfeld is a jerk. He is. Jerry Seinfeld is an elitist snob jerk. 100%. But... It isn't because he has had the unmitigated success that every comic fantasizes over. It's because he laid down his marker. I like comics. 
I only want to talk to comics. I only want to hang out with comics. I am not interested in getting the hug from Shakira. I, that video, it's Shakira, right? That video is so good. Look it up. Look it up, producer Jason. Uh, uh, Jerry Seinfeld won't hug Shakira. Oh, she went into like hug him and he's kind of like, maybe I'll shake your hand, but okay, why don't you stay away from me? The unapologetic nature of Jerry Seinfeld is so fantastic and joyous to see a guy be that much of a jerk and give so little of a damn. It was Shakira, right? Oh, yeah, I had that right. It was Keisha. Or that'd be Kesha. Not Keisha. Kesha. No, it's not Keisha. It's Kesha. Hold on a second, producer Jason. You're telling me that it's that it's it's Keisha. The dollar sign doesn't make it an eh. I thought it was Keisha. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure neither one of us know. That's what I just That's figured the way out. I used to announce it. Where did you announce Keisha? At the gentlemen's club. Stop it. All right. Hold on a second. Is there a story here we have to tell? You didn't know that? You did a little late night DJing? Oh yeah. My I God. work in radio, Tony. You gotta you gotta work several jobs, I, as you I, know. I never I never once worked at, at a at a strip club. Never never once. Twenty that's not, years. That's not to say I haven't danced. I'm just saying I, I never worked. <laughs> I uh, thought I recognized you. Good lord, the show is weird. It's Kesha, by the way. By the way, let us know on, on the X at Tony Katz. Uh, is it uh, is it is it Keisha or is it Kesha? I'm pretty sure it's Kesha. But neither here nor there. He w- he would not hug her. I love the fact that he's like, this is who I am. Everybody else can kiss off. This is it. Because I don't want to. Be- I don't care if I'm judged by whether or not you think I'm nice. I don't care if I'm judged. I don't want to be judged on whether or not I'm super sweet. Oh, look at what Jerry did. I want to be judged on the comedy. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. It's Kesha, isn't it? You are right. That's why he didn't keep the strip club job. It must have been a a girl's name that I was introducing, not the singer. Oh, Keisha. Oh, she's great. She is very bendy. He isn't interested in the accolades for the things that to him are not important. And there's a great lesson in that about the focus and the shutting out of the noise. And if Seinfeld did a special in an hour from now or a week from now or a year from now, we would look at him and we would look at that special and we would grade it based on whether or not we laughed. All I know is that in Dave Chappelle's last special, Dave Chappelle on on, uh, Netflix, Every time a Netflix special comes on, it's all I hear about. It's all I hear about. Every single day, nights, weekends, all I hear about is Dave Chappelle and Dave Chappelle and Dave Chappelle and Dave Chappelle. And admittedly, there were some good reasons why. Now, I have said before that equanimity in the bird revelation, specifically the bird revelation, is an unbelievable set. Now, I still hold true to that because it's very obvious that in the bird revelation that Dave Chappelle is having a therapy session. Within that, there is a bearing of his soul of of trying to rid himself of something that if, if to any extent you consider yourself an artist, you can see. Not every joke holds up. 
Not every statement holds up. He discusses a whole thing within that uh, about Colin Kaepernick, where, where Colin Kaepernick, you know, he didn't have to do what he did. He didn't have to take a knee. His belly was full. He did that for us. To which the answer, Dave Chappelle, is no, he did that for him. And your life is not better because of it. And nobody you know has a life better because of it. He did it for him. For whether it be an ego, whether it be a girlfriend, whether it be an ideology, whatever the case may be, you and I, as different as we are, are no better off because of it. And no amount of conversation has, quote unquote, made things better. It just hasn't. But there are things within that special that are just to the soul. It cuts. Did you know the new Dave Chappelle special, The Dreamer, got released on December, was it December 31st? It was released on New Year's Eve. I got it right here. Um, and that's all you heard. You didn't hear another thing about that special. You did not hear another thing. Oh, yeah, he may have said something about trans this, whatever. And, ooh, it got some excitement on social media for a day. He's canceled about this. He's not canceled. Nothing else happened. Nothing. Why is that? Is it possible that the special was not as good as other ones? Was it possible that for all of the comedic skill that he has, which is real, maybe this wasn't it? Is it possible that my analysis holds true, that comedy is judged based on the comedy and nothing else? The trans groups hates them and the... And the, and the and the, the LGBT group hates him, and the, this group hates him, and he keeps being funny. You think all of a sudden they broke through, broke through, and now everybody has this, this take that they can't hear him? No. I think it would ar- be a better argument, a smarter argument, to say that maybe this one wasn't as funny as the other ones, and therefore didn't get the viral moves. Kathy Griffin is begging for people to come to her show, but hasn't promised to be funny. She hasn't shown to be funny because if she was funny, even if only half the room was full in Des Moines, the next night it would be full or in Omaha it would be full or in Kansas City it would be standing room only or in name the city they would be lined up praying that there were a couple of cancellations because that's how it works. Don't worry, when I do, when I do my show, you'll be, you'll be able to get a ticket. You're just going to have to spend for it because, baby, I ain't cheap. No, I'm not. And I sure as hell won't beg for it. I'll earn it like everything else. I'm Tony Katz. One quick question about the 2024 campaign. We haven't had an opportunity to speak with you since you uh, suspended your campaign. Uh, is there an endorsement from Mike Pence forthcoming for well, one of the two remaining candidates? Yeah, yeah. well, look, I, I could never support Joe Biden. He's been a disaster for this country at home uh, and abroad. I'm incredibly proud of the record of our administration, but I haven't weighed in yet. I mean, I'm, I'm waiting not only to see how the primary plays out, but more importantly, 
and people that know me well know, for me, it's all about the vision. It's all mm -hmm. about the ideas. And I'm waiting to see where our nominee, whoever that is, comes down on issues that are vitally important to the country. A strong defense, uh, America's role as leader of the free world. And whether or not he gets to be Secretary of State. What kind of question is John Roberts of Fox asking, have you endorsed in this race? What answer were you going to get? Have you not heard Mike Pence at all? There is nobody who is more on message all the time than Mike Pence. And oddly enough, in the debates when he was running for president, he got off topic. He got himself hot. It was very strange to watch. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. The phone number 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. That's how you get to be a part of what we're doing over here. If there is through some, I don't know, we'll call it magical spell way that Hillary, that, that Hillary see, I call, I almost called Nikki Haley Hillary Clinton. That's hilarious. Oh, that's so good, Freudian. I swear to you, that was not planned, so help me God. So help me that, oh, oh, hold on. Let's just, let's just take a moment to let that all just sink right in right there. Oh my goodness, I am going to hear about that for a long, long, long time. Ooh, he, okay. Well then, if there is some magical spell by which Nikki Haley gets the nomination, Mike Pence is going to be on a short list for Secretary of State. If Ron DeSantis had been the nominee, and I want to state for the record, we could have had Ron DeSantis... Mike Pence would have been on a short list for Secretary of State. And I'm fully aware that the former vice president could be listening to this show right now. I'm not mad at the man. I'm not even mocking the man. I am stating what we know to be a fact. That question already had been answered by the knowledge that it was asked of Mike Pence. The idea that he is going to come out now and endorse Donald Trump when there is 0.0% chance that he does anything in that administration? Well, look, it's, it's, it's Trump and crazier things that have happened, so I don't know. But I'm going to say 0.0. 0.01. So you're telling me there's a chance. Zero, we'll call it 0.01 just to, just to drive people nuts. There's no chance. With Nikki Haley, there's a chance. But if he's the guy who now comes out in, in favor of Haley, oh, sure. He didn't do his job in 2020, and now he's endorsing Haley, who's just trying to screw things up for the Republicans. Who needs it? Some questions aren't worth it. Now, sometimes you ask the obvious question because there's the .01 chance that you might get the screwball answer. You might get the out-of-left-field answer where you're like, oh, Look at that. Daddy made some news today. So it, it doesn't hurt. But of course he's not going to endorse. Of course he's not going to endorse. Not while there is still this glimmer 
this chance that he could get another job. By the way, Pence's Secretary of State, no one would be better at delivering a president's message and staying on topic and being unflappable than Mike Pence. Uh, put, put your money on him on that one. For sure. This is Tony Katz today. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Derailment was on February 3rd. The president will go to East Palestine. He promised that he would, and he will. Uh, you saw him. On, uh, so he was not on a break when he was in Lake Tahoe? I will say this again. The president is going to go to East Palestine, as he has said that he is committed to do. You saw him. Time since then, if many... you tell me that the president is going to go to East Palestine, okay. But Peter Ducey's questioning of White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre there is exquisite. When? When does he go? Because it's been a year since the train derailment. It, that's You had the train. You had the spilling of these chemicals. People were harmed. There were questions. There were concerns. He's not there. He still doesn't show up. It's been a year. His schedule, I am sure, is packed. What? With the naps and whatnot. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 833-468-8669. Got Tony. Yesterday, there was a post uh, on social media from Phil Kirpin, American Commitment. Love Phil. Smart, smart, smart dude. And he noticed that when you take a look at the president's schedule, it was yesterday, the presidential daily briefing, uh, the PDB, is is how it's referred to in the vernacular, was at 11 a.m. 11 a.m.? Not at 7.30. Not up and at them. I had a little workout. I had a, a, a coffee. I had, a, I had myself an egg. I like them poached. And then, and then I got into the Oval, and there was a colonel, and then there was a, a, a somebody else, and a, oh, I can't even tell you who that guy is. Uh, super secret. And they told me what was going on in the world. And I said, holy crap, I'm going back to bed. Right? That would have been a thing. Maybe you get it at 9 a.m. You know, you, you want to read the Wall Street Journal. You, you make a couple phone calls. You check it in with the kids. Whatever. Yeah, you got a system. 9 o'clock, that's when the workday starts. Boom, I'm a 9 to 5 kind of guy. I bring my lunch pail to the Oval. That's the kind of guy I am. Nope. 11 a.m. All right. One of two things at that moment. The guy sleeps till 9.15. Or he gets up at 8, but it takes a good hour and a half to get the drugs working in his system to be able to get him through the day. You decide, you decide, I'm not going to be told, oh, Tony, you're engaging full conspiracy theory. I noticed that from this post that indeed he starts his day at 11 a.m. Most of us have to get up 
in the morning and start going. The alarm goes off, and the next thing you hear... Good morning, Baltimore. Every day's like an open door. Every night is a fantasy. Every sound's like a symphony. Good morning, Baltimore. That's right. Every day for me is like hairspray. It's a musical, people. Dear God, go see some theater. For the love of the Lord. Look, I'm not like you. I'm not waking up at 11 a.m. You wake up at 11 a.m. Pick one. Excuse me, Stewie, I'm talking here. Pick one. Crazy. And he doesn't have time to get to East Palestine. If you say so, you don't want to go. You don't want to go. That's all. So just say so. I have no interest in seeing those people. It's East Palestine, Ohio. It's totally uggo over there. It's uggo, and and I don't know what they did to the water or the air. I'm not going to have that. Just be honest. It's madness. Meanwhile, a White House briefing going on right now. This is John Kirby from the National Security Council. Are we going to hear about what's going to happen in response to Iran? Publicly, we haven't seen any action. So with every day that passes and no response, are you missing an opportunity to signal resolve? I think we signal resolve pretty well. And as I said uh, the other day, we'll respond uh, on our own time, on our own schedule. Um, and, and and we'll do that. And I would I would also uh, caution you not to not to think that the first thing you see you talked about publicly seeing not the first thing you see won't be the last thing. Can you confidently say that Iranian-backed forces have not begun moving assets out of the region in anticipation of a possible retaliatory strike? We're monitoring as best we can. I'm not going to speak about what the intelligence assessments to tell us. Um, but uh, well, well, I'll just say that uh, we're confident um, uh, in the, the planning and we're confident in the, in the response. That Is it we, possible that they're moving assets out of the region as they're getting ready for the U.S. to respond? I'm not going to talk about intelligence assessments. Uh, as the president said, we're going to respond, and we'll, we'll respond in, in an appropriate way. Emerald, can you give us a, a little understanding of the process when the president said yes, very definitively, he'd made a decision, and yet we know there's still ongoing work uh, related to the attribution and assessment of potential targets and those sorts of things. Is it a multi-part decision process for the president, or is the yes he gave already put into um, kind of the action that the Pentagon would need to go forward, or would he come back uh, and review the specific targets and that kind of, Can you shed any light on that? Just in, in terms of process, uh, uh, the, the, his decision to move forward was based on discussions that he had with his national security team over the previous three days, including yesterday. Um, and uh, when you're talking about what we're anticipating here, which won't just be a one-off, as I said, the first thing you see will not be the last thing. Um, there's a lot of moving pieces in that in terms of 
what you're going to choose to to go after and what you're electing not to go after and why and and he asks all those questions uh, he did that in this case but it's a it's an iterative process and i would fully expect kelly that uh, because as i said um th this, this this will be a response over time you should expect that the president will continue uh, to weigh options ahead of him, continue to ask tough questions, continue to talk to his national security team as things go forward. If you ask me, does that sound logical? I would say to you, well, certainly I would agree with the idea that the first thing is not the last thing. It's actually an expression we use in, in, in my home. Where you start is not where you end. The key to any operation is getting started. The key to any business is to getting started. You could do all the planning in the world, but eventually what you must do is get started. That's what, what, what matters. And where it ends, well, where it ends is where it ends. You can end with great opportunity. You can end with failure, which doesn't mean the end. You just can try again with, with something else. But to hear John Kirby, National Security Council, say this, to hear this conversation of we're discussing it and and we just because we haven't done anything doesn't mean we won't. That does not make me feel like, okay, they're gearing up for something good. This is the Biden administration. Why would you believe that they're gearing up for something good? This is an administration, and yes, indeed, a military that isn't based on defeating the enemy. It's based on understanding the enemy and trying to find common ground. You cannot find common ground with the Ayatollah, with the mullahs, the hardliners, and the clerics. There is no common ground. They see you as Satan and they want you dead. They stone gay people to death. Can I help you? In America, sometimes we don't want to decorate the birthday cake. That's as far as it goes. They're different. And there is no coming together. There is no mutually aligned situation by which we're like, huh, we're on the same side of this. What do you know? If you find yourself on the same side as the Ayatollah, the same side as the mullahs, the hardliners, and the clerics, you're the problem. You're the enemy. You can be like, hey, um, I think I agree with him. Oh my gosh, I'm the problem. That's you. Why would I take for a moment Kirby's statement here said with the with the dramatic pauses and the kind of I don't it's not a wistful look it's a it's a it's a it's it's a look of, of you know we really are the professionals and we've got this well under control and and we've got this handled and you 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 kind of expect them to be like let me tell you what President Biden's gonna do yeah turn on my President Biden's going to take no nonsense from no one. He's going to look those Iranians in the eye and say, you listen to me, Iranian. You can't take them the lives of American soldiers. You're going to have to pay, and we're going to make you pay dearly. Does anybody believe that one? Of course not. That's the kind of messaging that John Kirby is is kind of kind of floating out there. That 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 Biden's got this all together. But we've seen Joe Biden. And when he meets with his security council and he meets with the joint chiefs, this is what we think is happening. I can handle things. I'm smart. I'm like everybody's 
So I, I'm not I'm not buying into this. I, I am not buying into this at all. I I I I started I started today with this conversation, not even knowing that Kirby would be having the, the briefing today. That there has been no response is remarkable. Because when three U.S. soldiers are killed by Iran in a drone attack, you go to the Iran drawer in your file cabinet. You go to Iran. You go to the amount of soldiers that are killed. You go to drone attack, and you have 12 plans written up. Because if you don't, what the hell are all those soldiers and sailors and airmen doing in the Pentagon? Just walking around saying, oh, this place is pretty. They rebuilt it super nice. You're developing and designing the plan. If you're not doing that, you're not doing anything worthy of being there. Dear God. Yesterday. Let's bring it back to John Kirby. Response. We are also going to continue to have the conversations that are needed. And they have been good. They've been, there have been, it has moved in a constructive way. Um, and uh, again, we're not, nobody's doing a touchdown dance here. We got a long way to go, but we still think that there's, uh, there's real significant ability here to possibility to get an extended pause in place to get these hostages out. And can I just quickly get your uh, read on um, Katab Hezbollah's statement yesterday saying that they would suspend military and security operations against U.S. forces. What was the administration's read on that statement? I think, as I said to Steve, uh, we, uh, we certainly read it, but... We're not going to take it at face value. All right. I'm not interested in what you had to read. I'm interested in a, in a response, and it doesn't seem like you're very interested in the response. That's, that's, that's what it looks like. Like you are not interested at all in the response. Meanwhile, the, uh, the Dow is up 15, and the NASDAQ is down 180. Now, there's, there's a couple of things going on. The people over at ADP, that's the payroll people, they often do a, uh, a uh, well, here's how we think the jobs are, are going to go. And, the, you know, like the jobs report comes out the first Friday of the month. So, you know, this Friday, it will be uh, the jobs report from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And certainly from the unemployment number, you can read a whole bunch of things into it. Uh, it's not as important as, for example, the labor force participation rate and some of the other things we're watching regarding inflation, like the CPI, the consumer price index, or the PPI, the producer price index. What are people spending to buy things? And what is it costing manufacturers to make things? Uh, but it's interesting that ADP has for the past, I want to say six months, so I will, uh, stole that line from Gary Goldman, great comic. Uh, the ADP has been wrong. They have been so far off base from the real number. So when they say the numbers for jobs came in lower than expected, 107,000, and that's lower than the um, what was anticipated, I'm not buying in. Um, I, I have no idea whether or not they're right. They have not been right in months in months no what i'm paying attention to is first always the 10-year treasury which is back down again under four it had popped back up for a short little while there so remember it was up at five percent in october the 10-year treasury is what you would use to get a basis for the 30-year fixed mortgage rate so um, so you had mortgage rates at 8%, and then you saw the drop down 
which started 2024, you were down uh, to 3.78. You're like, well, all right. You know, you got the spread there and a 300 basis point spread or 3%. Mortgage rates at 6%. People feel better. And then it popped up to 4.1 and now it's down to under four. I'm paying attention to that. And I'm also paying attention to the fact that UPS is laying off 12,000 people. PayPal is laying off 2,500. And if people aren't fulfilling the jobs, maybe it's because there are no jobs to fulfill. That's a story. This economy is not what we are told. This is not a good place to be. And wait till you hear from the business owners. I have those anecdotal stories. I'll get to them in the next hour. This is Tony Katz today. So I get a text from my wife. Hey, uh, do you think this is a good deal? And it's um, it's an Angus ribeye for $5.85. Now, it's a 10-ounce. So you do the math. If it's 10 ounces and 585, it's 58 cents uh, uh, an, an, an ounce. Now multiply that by 16, it's $9.28 a pound. If I go to the case and I look for a ribeye, it is $19 a pound. So you're saying this is 50% off, to which I responded with, buy them all. So if you happen to see this really hot woman, I mean stupid hot, dumb, dumb, dumb hot woman, in your local supermarket, I don't even know which one she's in, and she has, for example, a cart full of ribeyes, uh, that, that, that's my wife, be very, very nice. And if it's not my wife, marry that woman because she knows how people should be fed. Marry that woman. Never let her go. I promised myself I wouldn't cry. The Fed is going to come out with an interest rate announcement. Oh, this is going to be good. We've got bourbon in here somewhere. We def- we have to have bourbon somewhere. This is Tony Katz today. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Interest rates are being held, not cut. Let's say it again. Held, not cut. I don't know what people were expecting. I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know if they really believed that the year 2024 would begin and it would be nonstop. Rate cuts on rate cuts on rate cuts on rate cuts. Guys, let's be perfectly clear. This economy is not in a good spot. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 833-GOT-TONY. 833-468-8669. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. I would appreciate it. If you would, let me give you some of the basics. First, the the, um, Federal Open Market Committee 
removed some language. They made some changes. And the removed language indicates a willingness to keep raising interest rates until inflation has been brought under control. The Fed's desire, their fantasy rate is 2%. But there is no plans yet to cut rates with inflation still running above the 2% goal. Where is inflation running? 3.9%. That's where it is. You're talking about double. When it's double, you're not going to have cuts. That's just not going to happen. Let me take that and now let me bring you to something else. PayPal laying off 2,500 workers, 9% of its workforce. Not enough. UPS is laying off 12,000 workers. And we should say, not laying off, flat out cutting, baby. Gone. We don't need this anymore. Just cuts. Non-stop. And, and, and we're not talking about drivers. We're talking about management positions here. People keep wanting to tell you from the administration and from other places that, my gosh, this economy is on fire. I don't know if this tells us on fire. Dr. Matt Will joins us, economist at the University of Indianapolis. I sent you the text. I'm like, what does this say to you? And your words exactly, they are true to their word by not increase by not cutting interest rates what do you mean by that well they indicated over the last 12 months that they believe we are in a new norm that when the rates went down to zero that was too low that it removed all the tools from their toolbox they couldn't control the economy or control inflation as easily and if we needed to cut there was no room to cut when you're at zero So I believe this is more of a long-term strategy that they said. They told us this was going to be the norm, and I think we're now going to be on a steady path for for quite some time. But when you talk about steady path, you're not talking about a steady path down. You're talking about a steady path across a horizon, that this is just where we're going to hold for a while, and that while could be the entirety of 2024. Yes. Oh, Yeah, I know the market has a built-in rate cut. In fact, multiple rate cuts built in this year. But I am not a a believer in that. You know, they say that the risks to achieving its employment inflation goals are moving into a better balance. That is their exact phrase. It's in a better balance now. Again, I believe what they're saying when they indicate that this is the norm. We're talking flat. I don't think they're going to be cutting. If they have a cut this year, it might be one But this is going to be the range. They're not going to go down to zero again like uh, some people would like. Now, this is where people are going to say, but they said, talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, the Fed said they were looking at three rate cuts in 2024. Then, while I'm going to say it this way, while you dismissed the minutes of the meeting, the minutes said that anything we said about rate cuts has no relationship to reality whatsoever. We're talking directly out of our butts. We don't know what we're going to do. We don't know when we're going to do it. And now you think that um, that the, the Fed, by this move, 
right here from the beginning of 2024, this is setting the tone for the year that these are the rates and they will remain. Well, okay, yes, but let me explain. What you hear some Fed members saying to the media and what you he- see in the minutes of their discussion is not what they put in their report. The report says this. I'm going to quote it. Quote, the committee does not expect it will be appropriate to reduce a target rate until it has gained greater confidence in inflation being under control. That's a quote. That's, I mean, we can read the minutes. We can see the news talking heads, members of the Fed board going out there saying things. But the minutes are quoted exactly what I just said. They do not expect it's appropriate to reduce the target rate. The Dow has responded by kind of throwing up. Down 83, it was up only four. The NASDAQ had already been down today. It's now down 215 as we speak. And one of the reasons it was down is that earnings from Alphabet, which is Google, and Microsoft, which is Microsoft, both did not hit. They both engaged uh, a, a, a miss. Um, this, uh, I... In our conversations, you're a believer that the part of the massive growth that we've seen in, 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 in the markets is all because of AI. AI this, AI that, AI everything. It, it, you, you can't swing a cat without hitting some AI. Uh, I would think Alphabet and Microsoft were on top of all this, yet we saw the slide. What, do, what gives in that regard? Well, what, what happened with, with um, Alphabet is that they missed their target. They were still up dramatically. I mean, their revenue was going through the roof. What happened is it didn't go in as high as people thought. It was still up significantly, but it just wasn't as high as people thought, and that's what the um, the you know, the issue was. I mean, they had ex- they expanded twenty six percent in the fourth quarter, twenty six percent revenue increased seventeen percent last year, seventeen percent for Microsoft, but it didn't go as high as people thought. They've built in too high of expectations. They were good. They were just out of the out of the ballpark expectations. And Microsoft? Uh, Microsoft was the seventeen percent, and Google was the twenty six percent. Those so, are good increases. But you created an unrealistic expectation within the marketplace. Oh yeah, I mean, think about it. Microsoft, which is you know the the Chat GPT, you know OpenAI partner. They had revenue increases of seventeen percent. Yeah, I think the market was expecting something closer to twenty. So, yeah, the AI is driving everything, but it's not it's good, but it's not that good. Now, let's move into whether or not this is a good economy or not. And to do that, I look, I, I've been very clear. This is not a good economy. There are more issues than there are good things happening. And while everybody wants to tell me about how things are strong, and the markets are on fire. I keep looking at layoffs. I take a look at here in central Indiana, Salesforce, they lay off 700. Then PayPal lays off 2,500. Then UPS, not, it's not even a question of layoff. It's 12,000 job cuts specifically in management, never to return. Never mind Citigroup that put an end to 20,000 jobs. We see the shedding all over the place. Yet, anecdotally, I will tell you that there are people desperate to hire. They cannot find a soul. So even though these jobs are getting cut, we are not necessarily seeing, and maybe the numbers will show us differently on Friday, we're not seeing these people look for other jobs or get other jobs elsewhere. This, to me, signals a problem. Am I reading the signals properly? 
I would say you're mostly reading them properly, but it's still back to the same discussion you and I have had for the last few months. We still have the great resignation. We are still feeling the impact of people not going back to work. Yes, we still see closures of businesses that have not been able to reopen. You know, we had businesses closed in the pandemic, and Biden has not allowed them to come back in. His economy has not produced the businesses. So we have a shortage of businesses, not as much a shortage of labor. So, I mean, not an abundance of labor. Look at UPS, 12,000 people they lied off, and they are so confident of the tight labor market, they said, you know what, and you're all coming back to work full-time in the office. That was a pretty bold statement from UPS. Oh, a massive one. That Five days a week, not three days a week, not look, we'll create a split shift. Five days a week, you're back in the office, we're done with this conversation, have a nice day. Has there been a response from the the rank and file of, nah, we'll go elsewhere, or are they showing up? (laughs) Um, From what I understand, they're showing up, and remember, this is the same organization that had a massive union fight, and the unions were bragging how great and wonderful they did for their employees who just got laid off to the tune of 12,000 people. But there's, if, if you got a minute, i got to tell you, there's another important thing here. You talked about the economy not being that good. The Magnificent Seven, the seven top stocks in the S&P 500, they made money last year. If you were in the Magnificent Seven, you did great. If you were in the other 493, you actually lost 10% in your portfolio. So I should follow you for all my stock tips and tricks. That's basically what you just... It's time for a newsletter, Dr. Will. I think that's what's coming. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of of Indianapolis. Just a real quick thing on UPS. The deal that was made was made for the drivers and made for the union workers. Everybody who was laid off here is a non-union part of UPS. So there is a difference, a distinction in these things. But I need to move over to one more story which I think this is a question of playing out to the future, and that's Evergrande in China. This real Mm -hmm. estate uh, holding uh, company developer, uh, the amount of debt they're sitting on is somewhere around $408 billion. They've already engaged the defaults, and now there is, through a Hong Kong uh, court, a a liquidation. Evergrande's going out, which means Country Garden, an equally large uh, real estate holding developer group that has been building these ridiculous ghost cities and other things, will, uh, will possibly have the same fate. Give me the effects of this on the American economy. It's, it's a domino effect because Chinese companies are in portfolios, whether you like it or not. If you own an index, many of these retirement plans, many of these mutual funds, these ETFs, they contain Chinese stocks because they're in global indices, like it's called the, the ACWI. It's the, it's the big global index. So you own Chinese stocks whether you want to own them or not. So when you have Evergrande going other, you're going to see a domino effect. It's going to impact them. It's going to impact uh, even companies in China because there is a link between the two economies and investors in the United States. Remember, the Chinese government tried to prevent Evergrande from going under. They failed. The biggest country in the world could not succeed in stopping a company from going bankrupt. But isn't that not a good sign? Is is that more of a question of not wanting to? It's it's China. They have some stockpiles. They could have just propped it up. I mean, I I would argue that it's obvious that they could have. So either either they chose not to for other reasons or I'm mistaken and they really couldn't. They don't actually have that much cash. 
it's not that they don't have that much cash. They can print all the money they want, and they've done that in the past. It's This bubble was so big, they did a calculation. The Chinese government decided we either let them go or we're going to have to cancel and close and bankrupt many more bigger companies. So it was a, a pay them now or pay them a lot more later decision that the Chinese Communist Party had to make. Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. I have more to get to. Find everything at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz Today. In the state of Indiana... There is some proposed legislation, and the proposed legislation would allow kids to have a lemonade stand. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. In the state of Indiana, I did not know this, although I think we may have talked about it, yet was not top of mind. Kids who want to run a lemonade stand need a permit and an inspection from the county health department. So now there is a a, a law, a piece of legislation, a proposal that would deregulate the lemonade stand industry. This comes from Representative Blake Johnson, a Democrat, filing a bill that would allow kids to run a lemonade stand as reported by WTHR on their private property without a permit or inspection. The bill passed unanimously out of committee. Good. Good. It's interesting that a couple years ago, as reported, there was a Republican filed the exact same bill. How did it not go through two years ago? How is it possible that it didn't go through two years ago? It never got a committee hearing in the Senate. How, what? What are you talking about? How could anybody think this is a bad idea? Well, this lemonade may not be made properly. We can get people sick. You know what? That's the risk we take in the world, kitten. There's a really important lesson in this for all these people who are screaming in, in here in, in, in uh, for example, central Indiana. And you see this happening in Albuquerque. You see this happening in other, uh, that's New Mexico. You see this happening in other cities where they want to put in uh, BRT, bus rapid transit. And they want to have bus-only lanes. So there's been a big conversation about whether or not that should happen. Now, we have something called the red line in Indianapolis, which is a big, hot, stinking mess. It's a total failure. It was supposed to be electric buses. And then the electric buses came from China through a group called BYD, Build Your Dreams. They didn't work. They were falling apart. And they didn't hold the charge. Because the weather was too cold, so the batteries didn't last as long. Which is weird. You would have known this if you had paid attention to what was happening in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is sometimes, uh, when I say sometimes, many times, warmer than Indianapolis, Indiana. They had the same exact problems. So then they were going to put on these wireless charger systems, these pads, and the bus would would sit over it and it would charge up. Super cool technology. Ah, that didn't work, so they went to diesel. You see, we were told we need electric buses, and that's the way to, to save the planet. Bus is there to try and stop cars from being on the road. 
It's to engage centralized planning and prevent mobility. We'll get into that later. So there's been a conversation about whether or not the state can say, hey, you can't have a bus-only lane. Lanes are for cars. You got to have mobility. Let the cars uh, go. Let them let them go do, do their job. Let people drive from point A to point B. The people who are opposed to this are saying, we're going to have more car accidents and we have to do away with car accidents. There's a whole push called Vision Zero comes out of Sweden. And the push is to uh, turn uh, reduce the number of traffic accidents to zero. Well, the only way you do that is to stop people from driving. This is their plan. But just like buying lemonade from the kid's stand, life is a risk. There are no solutions. There are only trade-offs. And the trade-off against mobility for Hoosiers is no mobility for Hoosiers. So the people who don't want uh, mobility, the people opposed to cars on the roads, to hell with them. Their idea of a trade-off sucks. They're wrong. They're dangerous. They're radical. They need therapy, and I only hope they get it. Because that's exactly the argument they would make to anybody who said, oh, you can't have a kid having a lemonade stand. My gosh, someone could get sick. Listen, I've had a cup or two of lemonade from a lemonade stand, and I'm going to be serious. I never had to rush to a bathroom. That has not happened to me yet. Now, that may have happened to you or your cousin Johnny. I don't know. But the risk is worth it. The teaching of entrepreneurism is worth it. The very concept and the wholesomeness of it is worth it. The the decency of it is worth it. And showing kids they can go out there and create and build is worth you maybe having some kind of inappropriate bowel movement. Yes, car accidents happen. And yes, people in cars have been hit by other cars and pedestrians have been hit. And that is awful. But the other side of the coin is people not having mobility. No. No. So Indiana should get this passed immediately. And the governor should already come out and say, uh, hey, uh, make sure this gets to my desk. And then we should have Lemonade Day in the state of Indiana to support entrepreneurism and also to drink lemonade. And... um, uh, the lemonade should cost a buck, but if you want it with a roll of toilet paper, it's five bucks. You know, for those of you who have a, what may have a problem. This is Tony Katz today. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It seems that Alejandro Mayorkas isn't going to go quietly, and certainly one could take a look at impeachment and not see it moving further past the House than just, well, actual impeachment. But the statement is being made, and the screaming and the yelling from whether it be Benny Thompson, congressman from Mississippi, or Dan Goldman, congressman from New York, notwithstanding, they'll tell you that there's a border deal put out there by Joe Biden. Why won't Republicans vote for it? They want it for the politics. The Republicans will say, we've been talking about the border for years. We passed legislation in the House 265 days ago Why hasn't uh, the Senate moved on it? And oh, by the way, 
Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas has failed us and failed America. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Griff Jenkins joins us of Fox News, who was covering the border before covering the border was cool. I do want to get into what's happening in San Diego. You and and, and Bill Malugin have been reporting on the number of single able-bodied males coming through uh, California, coming through the border there. But, but let's start with what's going on with the impeachment with Mayorkas and the argument that was made in the markup by both Republicans and Democrats. Well, Tony, it's great to be with you. And look, at the end of the day, you know, the, the reasons that they are trying to, the House Republicans are trying to impeach ultimately Mayorkas is the fact that he did not carry out the laws that are on the books. They put out endless ads of public safety announcements that still run every single day to CBP on Twitter and elsewhere saying, if you don't have a legitimate uh, uh, reason for asylum, uh, you will not be allowed to stay in the U.S. But that's just absolute hogwash. They're all being 80 plus percent, 85 percent are allowed to be released into the U.S. and they're not coming because they're seeking asylum or meeting any credible threat of uh, fear. They're coming for economic reasons. That's why I was covering that caravan a few weeks ago, carrying the banner Exodus de Pobre, free us from poverty. The migrant leader themselves, uh, uh, Viagran, Luis Viagran, who I know and have, have gone and covered him in Tapachula and places like that, told me the migrants are not coming for any other reason than the fact that they know they're going to be released and they're going to be able to get jobs. Look at these sanctuary cities from New York, Chicago, and elsewhere that they're trying to get work authorization for them so they're not homeless vagrants in their town, but yet at the same time, they're getting what they want. They're getting exactly what they came for, and that's why they keep coming in in you know absolutely unprecedented numbers. And so Mayorkas is being impeached by the House Republicans because he's not enforcing the laws on the books and the second article of impeachment, which is that he's lying to the country about it. Now, this idea of enforcement, we've heard Joe Biden go through this this odd bit of storytelling that the problem is he doesn't have the power. This is is Joe Biden in his own words. Listen. With executive authority, is there more you could do? Not all I can do. Give me the power. I've asked for the very day I got it off. Give me the border patrol. Give me the people. Give me the people. The judges. Give me the people who can stop this and make it work. Right. He's making the argument, Griff, uh, that he doesn't have uh, the the power. One of your compatriots, Jesse Waters, made a, a extremely solid point. For three years, the Biden administration has told us that the border is secure. It's fine. Stop being ridiculous. Now, all of a sudden, he doesn't have the power. In the, in the halls of D.C. that you cover as much as you cover the border, how is this argument going over? Well, listen, <clears throat> it's very disingenuous, and that's not an opinion. That's an observation, because let's not forget, Tony, on day one that he was inaugurated in 2021, he undid 94 executive orders from the Trump administration pertaining to the border, things like remain in Mexico, that when he realized at some point into the past 
three years that he was creating a crisis by undoing those. He could have put them back in place, and that certainly would have plugged some of the leaks, if you will, in what was a ship destined to sink. Now that the sink, now that the Titanic is on the bottom of the ocean, he's saying, wait, I need someone to give me help. And, and so it's really just unbelievable for him to say that. Now, there is an argument that Congress is the only one that can change policy like asylum. And he's right about that. But the argument against this current border deal and what's happening in Washington that insults the intelligence of Americans for those that think the Americans don't understand it, you're talking about giving more resources to continue the processing and transporting of migrants, not the detaining and deporting of them, because we're seeing nothing in the way of increasing detainment and deportations, and certainly nothing in the past three years that suggested they were trying to get there until all of a sudden, in an ABC poll, Joe Biden is at 18% on handling the border. Our border is being absolutely run over. The Texas governor has decided to challenge the Constitution and take matters in his own hands because he doesn't know what else to do. And you've got the president sitting there that that uh, he can't do anything. He could do a whole lot starting 10 minutes from now, which is reinstating Remain to Mexico. Let's now, talk why? about that. Hold yeah, on. Let's, let's stay right there. Talking to Griff Jenkins of, of Fox News. You catch him weekends. You catch his reporting everywhere. He fills in on Fox and Friends. My gosh, he runs the whole company by this stage of the game. Um, the Remain in Mexico policy. This has been a little bit of back and forth. And over the last couple of years, it's kind of gotten... Uh, kind of scrubbed in, in, in the wash in terms of what it refers to. Define the Remain in Mexico policy that President Trump put into place to explain what it is the Biden administration did and where does it reside right now? That's a great point, which is to step back and say, what was it? We heard about it. And why did it work? So it originally was started because of COVID. And it basically said, if you're going to apply for asylum in the U.S., you have to remain on the Mexican side of the border while your asylum claim plays out. And if you get then uh, approved to come into the U.S. for the next stage, because there's several. First, you got to like come and say you're claiming asylum and explain exactly why it is that you have you meet the threshold of credible fear. That's then noted at a port of entry by an immigration by a CBP officer who then would take the next step, which is to push it to an immigration attorney who would then begin to decide whether or not you do qualify for asylum, right? It's, it's sort of a, a, a multi-tiered system, and you got to get to that immigration judge. And so <clears throat> with COVID, we we're like, listen, you can't come over here because it's too dangerous right now with the cross-border and all the COVID things. you got to stay there. When we began to get unprecedented numbers, large numbers coming, President Trump signed an executive order saying, you know what, everybody claiming asylum, and particularly if you cross illegally and say, oh, I claim asylum, it's like, great, okay, <clears throat> sounds good, give us your name and info and go over to Juarez or to Matamoros or in Tijuana, and you wait there, and we'll let you know when that 
uh, is approved or disapproved, which set up all those camps we saw on the Mexican side. And migrants were having to wait months upon months, if not year upon year. And the migrants said, well, wait a minute. We didn't sign up for staying in a migrant camp in a Mexican border town. We want the good life. and We want it now. And Trump said, no, you can't. You got to do it this way. And if you cross illegally twice after you're applying for a remain in Mexico, you lose your right to stand in that line. And they were like, well, hell with this. I don't want this, Tony. I'm, I'm going to worry, worry, you know, try again some other time. Meanwhile, the Biden administration comes in, undoes it. They'll start coming in massive numbers. Then they came in such large numbers that you started to get these NTAs. We hear about NTAs. That means a border patrol agent in Eagle Pass when I was there in September, in October, we were seeing upwards of 3,000 a day in that area. On one specific day, Tony, I remember I was doing live reporting. We had 27 total border patrol agents on the sector in Eagle Pass, only 27 individuals, and we had more than 3,300 encountered that shift. And so you do the math. These guys can't. These guys and gals can't write these notices to appear faster. Now you see my buddy Malusian reporting <clears throat> last month about this asylum date 10 years down the road and beyond notices to appear because the system's so backlogged. So this administration, Mayorkas and President Biden ultimately allowed the backup to become so uh, burdensome that they allowed the migrants and the cartels ultimately, because that's who's getting filthy rich off of it, to overwhelm the system. And once they broke the system, they own the system. And now Trump, uh, Biden's acting like, well, there's nothing I can do. It's it's a crisis. He finally, for the first time, used the word crisis. That's just simply, I think the appropriate adjective is disingenuous. Talking to Griff Jenkins of Fox News, weekends on Fox News, and of course his reporting from the border and from D.C. That's an important definition about what Remain in Mexico actually uh, does and, and how it gets kind of manipulated because one of the things we heard in the impeachment hearing was Representative Dan Goldman of New York say, we don't have a place to house all these people. We don't have a place to put all these people. And Remain in Mexico would solve that problem. But I want to take you out of the impeachment conversation. I, I, I will come back to it and bring you to San Diego where your, 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 your partner, Bill Malugin there, as, as we think of the border, you guys are, are the one to punch, talking about what's happening in San Diego and the numbers of crossings there increasing. Keep your eyes on that, specifically single able-bodied males. Are we seeing an increase in San Diego and... Should we, or should does Border Patrol believe we should be thinking about single, able-bodied males differently than women, children, and families? Well, yeah. And listen, here's the thing about, so San Diego, which is, as you know, is just north of Tijuana. You know, whether it's San Diego or Lukeville, Arizona, or Eagle Pass, it, it ebbs and flows in terms of which area is ground zero. Right now, San Diego's <clears throat> sector is at ground zero. They have more than 1,300 uh, illegal <clears throat> migrants crossed yesterday, but they're coming not only as single adults, of which about 1,300, it was roughly 1,100. I mean, like 85% were single adults, and it included from over 100 countries, including everything from China to Africa, Vietnam, you name it. And so you wonder, why are they coming? Again, it goes back to the job thing. 
single adults are coming because they know they can find work and they can find an opportunity for a better life. About the only perhaps silver lining to this story in this crisis is, Tony, you can say at least the rest of the world still knows there's no, but, no, no greater place on the planet than in the United States of America that offers anybody, particularly the downtrodden in the uh, disenfranchised, the most likely chance of success in reaching that American dream. You hear all kinds of Americans talking about the American dream is lost and done and we're terrible and woe is us. Go stick our head in the sand. Ask these migrants from all over the world why they came. It's ultimately because they believe they can do it. And they believe that ultimately Joe Biden promised them the opportunity to do that. Remember, he promised this to them. And that's why they they say that, you know, thank you, Mr. Biden and all. I've done it with migrants. Bill Malusian more recently did it. But San Diego right now is being hit hard. And what's really significant about the different number of countries in Venezuela in, in Eagle Pass, it's largely Venezuela and, and in a few other countries. But they're getting a heavy concentration from South and Central America, whereas out in California and in Arizona, they're getting the wider spread of migrants from all over the globe. And that is an indication from my border patrol sources that ultimately the cartels have figured out a system in some areas to just set up a, 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 an opportunity to do a worldwide travel agency and bring them from all over. And, you know, it was in uh, Yacumba, California, where Malusian dropped that video yesterday uh, of smugglers uh, in SUVs, two SUVs dropping off migrants who just go around a part of the border wall where it's open. And that had people from India and Turkey and everywhere else. And so, you know, this this situation is is all a snapshot. And we keep getting snapshot after snapshot in time of the national security implication. You know, the I put out in the very beginning of of uh, January, I knew from my source there was 302,000 migrant encounters in December, shattering all records. And sure enough, guess what? That bore out true. What I didn't know was the exact number of people on the terror watch list. It was 19, bringing the number to 51. One was from the northern border. All the other uh, 50 were from the southern border crossings. And <clears throat> you look at the data yesterday. So yesterday, there was just a little over 6,200 uh, encounters across the entire southwest border, right? 740-something, I remember, I think 41, were uh, known gotaways. Right. So that's seven, more than 700 potential, you know, on any given day, more than 700 potential terrorists in our country. But then you look at the December, 302,000. That's when you watch the Super Bowl, when the Chiefs take on the 49ers and you see those giant crowd in that Super Bowl stadium in Vegas, just know that what crossed in December was four and a half times that. Well, there's the sobering thought. Griff Jenkins, uh, Fox News, as the impeachment proceedings proceed, we will speak again uh, about that and this uh, border deal, which seems to be uh, DOA coming from Jim Lankford and uh, the Senate, uh, that bipartisan deal. Griff Jenkins, Fox News Weekends. Catch him there. I appreciate you. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. So we still don't have a response from the United States. No response for Iran. You've got John Kirby 
saying, I think we signal resolve pretty well. Is that right? You had the vice president saying, don't, Iran, don't you do anything when it comes to this uh, Hamas attack on Israel. Don't think, don't. And then, of course, you had uh, Secretary Antony Blinken saying, don't. And then you had President Biden with his steely, squinty eyes saying, don't. And they did. So tell me again how you think we signal resolve pretty well. John Kirby, the guy's a rear admiral for the love of the Lord. We signal resolve really well. We have not responded yet to three Americans being killed. I don't think that's a, sh- a, a signal of resolve. I don't think that's showing anything. You're speaking with the, the, the powers that be. You're speaking with your team and you're getting a plan together. Oh, sure. I'll believe it when I see it. And I already am disgusted that I haven't seen it. Find everything going on at TonyKatz.com, T-O-N-Y-K-A-T-Z, TonyKatz.com. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.